Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read there together in just a moment. I do want to say a word about our life groups, how much I appreciate them. Our life groups are small group Bible studies. We have them for all ages, adults all the way down to preschoolers. And uh, we're, um, most of our adult classes are back on campus, though many of them, a lot of them, um, Zoom as well. They have people there on campus and people who Zoom in to the class itself. And then, we're, of course, our teenagers meet on campus and our children and preschool starting to meet on campus too. And thank you to so many of you who teach with life groups or help in some way. We are thankful for you and may your tribe increase. Well, let's read in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 8 and 9 as we talk about being unashamed. The Bible says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, before time began. So let's um, note some principles about being unashamed this morning. I'm going to read um, a writing, some uncertainty about who the author is, called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. Some of you may have heard it before. It's written some years ago. It goes like this. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I have stepped over the line. I won't look back, let up, slow down, or back away. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with selfish living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, pity, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I live now by faith, lean on his presence, walk with his patience, uh, live by prayer and labor with his power. My face is set, my gate is sure, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity, because I have been sustained by Christ." I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, spoken up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go till all know and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner is clear. Well, I love that. I'm going to talk with you this morning about being unashamed and three principles I'd like you to note. If you're here in person, perhaps you got a worship guide as you came in and you can write some notes on the back. If you're watching online, you can write that on something. The church app has those as well. Let's note these three principles together, and then we'll talk about some aspects of God's plan for you. And the first principle I'd like you to note with me is be unashamed of the testimony, of the testimony. Verse 8, verse eight says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. The word testimony is about our story, and the Bible is filled with stories Jesus told stories all the time. The Bible's full of stories. When you read the Bible, you'll see story after story. It's not just stories, but there's so many testimonies, stories of what has happened to people, the good and the bad, the hard and the difficult, the easy and the um, everything in between. And the Bible reminds us of the power of this of the story. 
the Bible says here, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, about our Lord. Jesus is the hero of this story. All the movies today, it seems like, at least half of them, are about superheroes. That's all I mean, movies about superheroes are so common. The good heroes, the bad heroes, the villains and the, and the heroes. And Jesus is our hero. He's the hero of the story. He's the hero of our life groups. He's the hero of our Bible studies. Notice the Bible says uh, in verse 8, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Paul is a prisoner. Now, you might expect people to say, well, I'm not ashamed of Paul. Especially, imagine this for a moment. If If you had a job and someone says, you know, you are such a great employee. I've noticed your Christian faith and how it makes you work harder than other people. You're more dependable. You're, uh, you, you, you put in your work. You do what you say. And I'm going to reward you by giving you a, a raise. We would say, man, look at how we are so proud of that person because of their testimony and their faith. They get rewarded. But what if you're in a job and because of your Christian faith, the employer says, you know, I don't like Christians very much, and he, whatever, you know, there's always, a, there's always a reason why society always has something they say about Christianity that they don't like. I don't know, you're a bigot, you're a bigot, or you're, whatever it is, whatever it is. And because of that, I'm going to demote you. Well, Paul is saying, don't be ashamed. I'm, Paul's in prison not for doing the wrong thing. He's in prison for the right thing. He's not in prison because he's done something wrong. He's in prison because of the gospel of the Lord. And he's saying, don't be ashamed of this gospel that's resulted in difficulties for me. In fact, notice what he says here. He says, or of me, note this, his prisoner. Now, he's not saying here, don't be ashamed of me, the government's prisoner. Now, the government's the one who put him in prison. But it's not, he's not saying I'm a, prison, a prisoner of the government. He's not saying that though he is a prisoner of the government. The government, because he's preaching Jesus, the government throws him in prison. That's happened several times. The same thing will happen eventually to Timothy. He's saying, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. He's speaking of the Lord, our Lord, just words before. He's saying, don't be ashamed of me because I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm the prisoner of Jesus. I'm God's prisoner. I I have, my life is about following the Lord. And so I am his prisoner. Now, certainly we could say about Paul, like we could say about any Christian, a child of the king, forgiven by God, adopted into God's family, but also we could say a servant of the Lord, a slave of the Lord, a prisoner of the Lord, because Paul is saying, I am following the Lord just like I, it's like I'm his prisoner. What he wants is what I'm going to do. What he says, that's where I'm going to go. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed, and I'm going to obey him. And so I am unashamed to be called his prisoner. I'm unashamed to say I'm following him. So let me ask you to write a couple of things here under this principle. First, would you note, you have a story to learn. You have a story to learn. We want you to learn the story, the testimony about our Lord and the testimony of Paul and the testimony of Timothy and the testimony of Moses and Abraham and Elijah and Elisha. It's one of the reasons why we open God's word together when we study the Bible in uh, worship services. One of the reasons we open the Word in our life groups, and we st- those are Bible studies. It's one of the reasons why we encourage people to read the Bible for themselves, take personal responsibility for your spiritual growth. We want to help you, encourage you, aid you, 
but you take responsibility for it yourself. Learn what God has to say. Learn His story. God gives you His Word for a reason. And we learn the story of God's Word in our small groups. There's a value to that. I just want to remind you, you might feel like you don't need that. I'm just telling you there's a value to that. And a value to worshiping corporately, God made that. But also in that personal devotions, it's not infrequent for someone to come to me uh, after a service or something and say, I just finished reading the New Testament for the first time. I'm always delighted to see that. I encourage you to read the New Testament many times, many times in your life. It's not in, unusual for someone to say, I just finished reading the whole Bible for the first time. And I love that. I love that we can read God's story. We can learn the testimony about the Lord for ourselves. You have a story to learn. But notice as well, you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. You have a testimony. You have a testimony. Just like Paul had a testimony. Just like Timothy has had a testimony. You have a testimony. It's your story. And there's a power to your story. Just as God uses stories in his word to teach us, God often uses our testimony to help others. Some people in this uh, room today or watching online have a testimony of some dramatic sort of thing. They were far from God. They were in a ditch, so to speak, and they looked up and finally turned to God and, and found out about the love of Jesus, found out that Jesus died for them on the cross, came to know Christ as Savior, and I love those stories. Some of you have a story that's less dramatic. You grew up in a church. You heard the message of the gospel when you were a little boy or a little girl. You trusted Christ as Savior, and and then you kind of waddled through life spiritually, didn't make much progress, didn't grow very much, didn't learn very much, went to church for years and years and years, just kind of out of a routine, halfway listened to a sermon, halfway uh, mumbled some songs as we sang, but you, it didn't mean very much. And then one day God got a hold of your life and you realized this is serious business and, and I'm going to be a part of the fellowship of the unashamed and you got right with God and that's your story. Listen, whatever your story is, God wants to use it. There's a power to it. And be unashamed of the testimony. There's a second principle I, I want you to write down. Would you write down, be unashamed of the sacrifice? Now, the, this eighth verse is in the Bible. And I tell you that because, I'm sorry, this is, yeah, this is the second half of verse 8. And I say that because it's not the kind of stuff you always expect to hear. The Bible says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me of me as prisoner. Instead... Instead, so there's something else. Instead of being ashamed, here's what Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to do. So if the wrong thing is to be ashamed, here's the right thing. Here's the instead. And let's note two things. First, would you write down, the gospel is worth suffering for. The gospel is worth suffering for. Maybe you didn't expect to write that in church today. The Bible says this, instead, share in suffering for the gospel. So Paul is saying, it doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? From a mentor to his young, uh, the young minister. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel. That's not what you expect him to say. He shouldn't say things like that. And this is exactly what he says. Share in suffering for the gospel. He is saying to Timothy, this gospel is so great and so important. It's worth suffering sacrifice. Don't be ashamed of me in prison. In fact, you'd be willing to join me, which Timothy would go to prison for the faith. In that Roman government that was so anti antithetical to everything about faith, Paul went to prison multiple times. Timothy went to prison. Many of the early Christians 
went to prison, many of them died for their faith, and they said the gospel is worth suffering for. I heard this uh, story of a pastor years ago. He was told about, he was wrestling, he was 19 years old, he was wrestling with his call to ministry that God wanted him to be a pastor because his father, his group, a wealthy family, his father was a business owner and they had very successful business and he, and he was, you know, supposed to take over the family business and dad sent him on a, 19 years old, sent him to do some business in Rio, went all the way to, flew to Rio and in those days that was the hot spot, I don't know, I guess that changes vacation spot, I don't, I'm not sure what the hot spot is now but apparently at that time it was Rio, people wanted to go to, you know, that was like the, the big destination to go to Rio for a vacation and he was uh, at a really nice restaurant, and he overheard an older couple talking. And the guy said to his wife, was it worth it? All the sacrifices, all the trips, all the long hours, all the time away, wasn't it worth it so we could be here now? And he thought to himself, I'm 19 years old. They've been sacrificing all these years to get here. I'm 19, year old, 19 years old, and here, here's where I am. Is it worth it? What am I going to say about my future? Is it worth it? To leave what others think I'm supposed to do? To do what I know God wants me to do? Is that worth it? What if the Lord calls you to sacrifice? That's right in the Bible. I'm telling you, the word sacrifice. If you're going to remove the word sacrifice from the Bible, you're going to have to get busy because there's some removing that will have to be done. Service? You're going to take, are you going to take that out of the Bible as well? Service? Would Paul say it's worth it to have been in a prison for the... He's saying, not only is he saying it's worth it, he's saying to Timothy, come on in, the water is fine. Come on, come on. If, if the Lord has you suffer for the cause of Christ, it is so worth it. There's somebody in a prison right now sacrificing in Vietnam or in China. You know, communism has not always been the kindest friend to the faith. Some Christian in Iran right now who, is, who knows something about suffering for the Lord. And they would say to us what we would all understand fully one day in heaven. The gospel is worth suffering for. Our present troubles are not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory, the Bible says. The eternal weight of glory. We can't, it can't compare. The gospel is worth suffering for. Secondly, would you know, the, God's strength is worth depending on. God's strength is worth depending on. So he says, instead, instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He doesn't say relying on your ingenuity or your abilities or your talents. I love that we have many people here with great talents and abilities. I love that God has gifted you that way. But God wants you to die to self and live to him. God wants you to depend upon him and not yourself. And he's saying, Share in the suffering of the gospel, relying on the power of God. God's strength is worth depending, depending on. Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, I, found I needed to depend upon God, and I found out God was dependable. How else do you find out God is dependable if you don't depend upon God? How would you ever find out God is faithful unless you have faith? You'll never find out he's trustworthy unless you trust him. And those are the means by which we discover we can count upon God in the most difficult times of life, in the hard struggles, in the decisions that, that maybe other people wouldn't make for us. 
But when we follow God, there's a power to that. And Paul is saying, be unashamed of the sacrifice that God calls you to. Be unashamed of that. But there's a third principle I want you to note, and I want to spend a little time here as we talk about God's plan. Be unashamed of the plan. And God does have a plan for you. And I want to talk about seven aspects of God's plan for you and how you can be unashamed of the plan. God's plan for you is right and good and best. It's not always easiest, but it's always right and good and best. And so let's talk about seven aspects of God's plan for you. And I'm going to give you seven. If you can just write these down, I'll say God does something, God, and then another word that describes something God has done, a part of God's plan for you. Let's just write these seven things down. Number one, God saves. God saves. Verse 9 says, He has saved us. This is a common theme in the Bible. God saves. Jesus said, you must be born again. He didn't just say, it's, what I want you to do is just try harder, you know, don't mess up so much. He doesn't say that. He doesn't just say, if you could sort of reform, you know, get a little bit better. And he doesn't talk just about being more religious. Jesus said, you must be born again. There must be this transaction that happens where you give your life to Christ, where you are saved, to use the Bible's terminology. Many people would say, well, I'll be good. And I I would ask the question of you, well, how good? How good? Because you might be pretty good compared to other people. Perhaps you've got some wild neighbors, some of the cousins, you know, pretty cantankerous sort of folks, and you look pretty good compared to them. But what if the standard of comparison is something else? The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how do you stack up in comparison to the glory of God? How are you doing there? Have you ever sinned against God? Have you ever lied? Well, the Bible would call us a, tell us we're liars then. If we, the Bible says if we've ever lusted in our heart, we've committed adultery in our heart. The Bible tells us we've all sinned against God and that that sin separates us from God. So the problem is we can never be good enough to reach the Lord. We can never be good enough to reach heaven. We need what Jesus did for us. God loves us so much that he sent his son. God became a man. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took our place. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered the power of sin. He conquered death. And we can be saved by turning from our sins and placing our trust in Jesus Christ and receiving him as Savior, the Bible tells us we can be saved. And I want to tell you, that's the start of God's plan for you. God's plan for you is for you to know him, to be adopted into his family and salvation, to find forgiveness of sins. God saves. Number two, God calls. The Bible says he has saved us and called us. God wants to use you. I don't exactly know why, but he wants to use us. He calls us to join him in his work. He wants to use us. Let's imagine a coach. I'm glad to see some sports being played again. Let's imagine some coach after a game got really honest. Coaches can't always they have to learn how to say things. But if they said, you know what? These players are just pathetic. They're terrible. And I can't win with these players. And it's not my fault. I'm not out there on the field. It's these players. And I can't win with them. And I don't want not one of them. I'd like to get rid of every single one of these guys. If I could just get rid of every, every one of them. I want to fire them all and just start over because the next group can't be as bad as this one. I mean, it can't be any worse. I'd just like to get rid of every single one of them. I don't want not one of them. I, if a coach said that, it'd probably sound a little harsh, I suppose, you know. But God in heaven has said this. 
I want you. I don't really understand fully why, but I know that God calls us. He wants us. He, he wants you. And just as he called Paul and he called Timothy, he calls you to join him in his work. He's given you gifts and talents and resources and abilities, and he wants to use you to make a difference. God calls. And if you know Christ as Savior, God has called you to join him in his work. God wants you to be a, a participant in what he's doing as part of God's plan for you. Number three, God sanctifies. And that's not a word we use very often, the word sanctifies, but it means to make holy. In salvation, we are declared holy, forgiven of our sins because Jesus paid the price for us as though we had never sinned. But sanctification is about the process of living a holy life, of becoming like Jesus, of practicing holiness in our lives. And God wants you to live a holy life. You're not saved by your good works, but you are saved for good works. You're not saved by good works, but you're always saved for good works. And so part of God's plan for you is for you to live the kind of life your actions, your attitude, your motivation, your heart that pleases and honors him. He wants you to obey him. He wants you to love holiness, to love the things he loves, to turn from the things that he tells you to avoid, to remove sin from your life. God sanctifies, and he wants to do that in your life. Have you ever noticed some people... Just, they never grow up. They never mature. And so they act what we would say, even as adults, they act in childish behavior. So maybe um, they, they throw fits and temper tantrums and are self-centered and selfish and think only of themselves. And we don't much like that in children. When a child says, I'm going to hold my breath until you do what I want you to do, which parents why do you reward them for that behavior? I mean, why don't, don't stand strong here, men and women. You don't have to reward bad behavior. Eventually, they have to breathe again. I mean, you know that, all right? They, do, they think they can trick you, but, but when an adult does that, it's not that attractive in a child when an adult does that. We say, hey, come on, grow up. Why, why are you being so selfish and self-centered and petulant? Why are you acting that way? Couldn't we say spiritually? Wouldn't the Lord say to us, I want you to grow up. You don't have to stay trapped in the same past that you've always been. You don't have to fall victim to the same sins over and over again. You don't have to live like the world lives. I've got something better for you. I want you to learn to obey me. I want you to trust me in this thing that you think of as a small thing, but trust me here and obey me in this. Stop following the ways of the world in that. Turn, turn from those wrong things because I have something so much better for you. God wants to sanctify. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. And the Bible says this over and over, to mature in our faith, to understand and to practice what God wants. God sanctifies. It is a part of God's will for your life that you become like Jesus in attitude and in actions. Number four, God overcomes. Part of God's plan for you is God overcomes. He says in verse, verse 9, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling. It's a holy calling. That's the sanctified. And not according to our works. Not according to our works. So God didn't like say, oh, you know what? Paul is perfect, and so I'm going to 
save him and, and call him and sanctify. No, no, no. God knew very well Paul's imperfections. He didn't say Timothy is perfect, and so that's why I'm calling it. No, Timothy was full of imperfections as well. He didn't say that to you. God forgives by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, on that cross, paid the penalty that was yours. He died in your place. Christian, if you have trusted Christ as Savior, Christ's blood is sufficient for you to be forgiven. When we think of that early church, do you think that early church was like filled with perfect people? The Bible says something very different. The Bible says every sin, really every sin, whatever sin you have in your life, whatever, thin, whatever sin is in your past, and every sin was there, every sin. Sexual immorality, what we think was the big sins, certainly persecution of Christians, you know, to the point of murder, hatred, anger, jealousy, bitterness, gossip, whatever, whatever, every sin. And that early church was not used by God because they came from a perfect place. They were broken, and they were part of a broken world. And do you think God wants to use you because you're perfect? Of course not. He knows it all. In this, our church is not any different than the early church. We're filled with people who have sinned in every sort of way, every, whatever sin it is in your past. I want to remind you, the Lord is able, by the blood of Jesus, to forgive. His blood is sufficient to forgive you. So the secret sin that nobody else in all the world knows but you, and you think no one could ever forgive me if those folks at church knew what I had done, they'd... the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forgive. The things that you hide from other people deep inside your heart, the blood of Jesus is sufficient. And he can forgive every bit of your past. And while not only does he forgive your past, and you can accept that he can forgive your past, but sometimes when we trust Christ as Savior, the junk still starts to get right back in. The enemy's really good at what he does. And he wants to drag you right back into that sewer. And he will, man, he'd be happy for you to live there. But the blood of Jesus is sufficient not only to forgive us of our sins, but to help us to overcome the problems of our, of our life right now. The Holy Spirit in you can help you to overcome whatever battle you're facing, that, that thing no one else knows and all the world knows. No one else knows about it but you. And the Lord can help you to overcome it. Whatever it is that's a, what the old timers used to call a besetting sin, a sin that was just had a stronghold in your life, God the Holy Spirit in you can help you to overcome and it is God's will for you, it's God's plan for you that you would overcome those sins that just keep grabbing and grabbing pornography. Or, uh, I, I could, there's no end to what it could be. And the enemy is really good at this. He grabs us with him. He, he gets his tentacles in us. And we find ourselves, if we're not careful, just like um, uh, captured almost by the enemy. But the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit is such that he can overcome the power of the enemy. And God overcomes. And God can help you to overcome the sin of your present and in whatever it is that you've never forgiven yourself for, that God the Holy Spirit has already forgiven you for. Jesus already died in the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. The Lord overcomes. Number, number five, God purposes. God purposes. The Bible says he's, he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. Now, God is working right now. We can't always see it well. God is accomplishing his purposes. He's making all things work together 
for good in ways that we can't always see. And these are part of God's purposes, and He has a purpose and a plan for your life, and He's purposing to work in you. We can't always see how God is purposing, how He can use all the junk and problems and difficulties and struggles, and how my wife used to do cross-stitching. And she'd like maybe, you know, make a Bible verse and then put it in the thing and put it on the wall or some pillow, something like that. And you could see the Bible verse clearly on one side, but on the back side, it was just a jumbled mess, you know, you couldn't see anything. It was just strings going various places. It, it didn't look like it made sense at all. We see the bottom side, as it were, of life. And God is looking from above and he purposes in ways that we can't fully see and understand this side of eternity. So we say when we follow God's plan, God, I can't always understand how you can bring good from these situations or how you can work through someone as flawed as me or how you can overcome all the problems of my past and my difficulties and my failures. But I'm going to trust you and your purposes to accomplish what you want done in this world. Number six, God loves. God, the Bible says it's not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Last week we talked about what grace is, how, it's God, how God loves us, not if. I love you if you do certain things, but God loves. It's unconditional love. It's love we don't deserve. And God loves like that. And he loves you. And it's God's plan for you to understand his love and to serve him out of that love, to obey him out of that love, to follow him out of that love, to express that love to him, to love other people because of his love for you. That's God's plan for you. God loves. And number seven, God prepared. Now, all the others I put in present tense, but God prepared. I put that in past tense because here's what the Bible says. It's not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given, that's past tense, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Well, when did he give it to us? Before time began, God gave us, God's plan for us started before time began. God planned for you before there was such a thing for time as time. God planned for your life before there was a your life, before there was a sun around which we could mark a year by the rotation of our planet, or before there was a day that could be marked by the spin of this globe, or before there was a moon by which we could mark a month. I mean, God planned before time began for you, and he has a plan for you. And he says, I don't want you to be ashamed of the testimony or the sacrifice or the plan because God's purposes are right and good and best. And he wants you to be a part of that fellowship of the unashamed. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As we pray, I want to ask you to make a couple of commitments. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, right where you are, would you recognize that you're a sinner who needs to be saved? And would you give your life to Christ? Would you, would you say, Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I'm not ignoring that or pretending it away or... I've sinned against you, but you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead for me. And so here and now, I turn from my sin, and I place my faith in you, and I trust you as my Savior. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. He'll save you. And Christian, I'm going to say a word to you. The Bible tells us the Lord wants us to be unashamed of the testimony, unashamed of the sacrifice, unashamed of the plan. We just say, God, I want to... I want to I'm going to live my testimony out for your glory. I want to be willing to sacrifice where you call me to sacrifice, to follow your way and not my own way, the hard way, not the easy way. 
Lord, I want your plan. I want to follow your plan. As best I can see it, I want to follow your plan. God will bless and honor that. Father, I want to thank you for your word. There's a power to it and a truth to it. And Lord, we know how easy it is for us almost to be embarrassed by faith because the world is so an, um, such an antithesis to what faith is in these days. But Lord, you call us to something bigger and better and greater. So Lord, with boldness, we want to live out our faith and we want to glorify your name and we want to follow you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.